Let's open up our Bibles once again to the book of Matthew as we are making our way through the New Testament verse by verse. We finished chapter 14 the last time we were together, so we pick it up here in chapter 15 for the very first time. Now, as I said in the weeks prior that we are well into now the final year of the life of Christ, the earthly ministry of Christ. He's gonna be nailed to the cross here in less than a year's time. And one of the things that we're gonna notice in the book of Matthew is that as we move along the intensity of the division between Christ and these religious leaders, and it is gonna become very clear that Christ is just done with these guys. He's done talking to them. He's done reaching out to them. And we are probably only about a month or so away from when John records in his gospel in chapter 12, speaking of the Pharisees, that therefore they could not believe. Very important wording here. Not that they would not. Not that they had a choice in the matter. Again, there is a line. We don't know where. There is a time we don't know when, when a person has consistently rejected God's offer that they end up being in a place where they can no longer be saved. They end up in that place where their heart is so hard and they are so determined to reject God that like Pharaoh, there is no reaching out to them. And we're going to see by the time we get to the end of our study here this, this morning, that Christ makes it very clear. Hey, these guys, they're, they're done. I'm, I'm, I'm done reaching out uh, to these people. Now, we can say to ourselves, well, gee, that's, that's not very loving. That's not, that's not very fair. But look, if you're trying to have a relationship with somebody... And you reach out and you reach out and you reach out and at every turn they are rejecting you. They're rejecting an opportunity to have a relationship with you. At some point, you begin to pull back because you're not a creeper, right? It's only creepers that continue to ask out over and over again. God is not a creeper. And there comes a point where you don't want me, you don't have a relationship with me, and God then gives us over to that which we want. The longer that we say no to his offer of his grace and his mercy, the more no's that we say, the easier it is to say no, and eventually we'll get to a place where we are in such a frame of mind that we can't say anything else but no. And that is where the Jewish leadership is at now. They have been given undeniable proof, prophetic fulfillment, miracles over and over again that this is the Son of God. And they are rejecting it. Now today, the church faces two great enemies, liberalism and legalism. And both of these issues were in Jesus's day. Now, there was a group known as the Sadducees. They were the liberals of the day. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the legalists. Now, these are polar opposites. Now, the reason why they are opposite is that liberalism seeks to remove from the scripture. Well, God doesn't really say that. God really doesn't mean that. And legalism seeks to add to it. It's like if two aspirins will take your headache away, 
Wowee, imagine what 10 might do for you. If two commandments of God are good, imagine if we add eight more into the mix. Now, both of these positions are condemned by God at the end of Scripture. At the end of the book of Revelation, you remember that God said, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, the first attack that we see here in chapter 15 is going to be from the legalist because Jesus is not prescribing to the tradition of the elders. Now, the problem with legalism is that legalism is the very opposite of grace. Now, we are saved by grace through faith. You and I have faith that Christ was nailed to the cross the wrath of God was poured out upon him, and my sin was nailed there on the cross with him. I have faith that he is the solution to my sin problem. And as I place my faith in Christ, then his grace is activated in my life. And we say, well, we're saved by grace. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Now, what legalism does is that legalism, it makes salvation man's responsibility. You've got to live a certain way. You have to bring forth certain religious works in order for you to be made right before God. But grace says, no, salvation is a work of God. We are saved because of the work of Christ. Salvation is not a reward for a job well done. Salvation is a gift of God. And to receive salvation, it's just like receiving a gift. What do you do when somebody gives you a gift? Well, you receive it, you take it, you make it your own. And this is what brings salvation into our life. But what legalism does is legalism says, well, you wanna be saved? Well, you can't drink alcohol. You can't own a car. You got to drive a horse and buggy. You can't drive that nice, shiny new car and expect to go to heaven. I mean, that's not going to work. Uh, you, you, you know, uh, can't have facial hair. Of course, some groups will say, no, you got to have fa facial hair. And, uh, you know, your women, they can't wear makeup. They can't wear jewelry. They can't wear pants. They can't get their hair cut. It seems to me that women really take the brunt of legalism. Now, the problem is, is that it's what Thomas Constable says, the ordinances of the scribes were declared more precious and of more binding importance than those of the Holy Scripture. You see, what happens is, is that you get fixated on your religious group's regulations. And that becomes the sum total of your interests. All you're interested in is what is a group telling me to do? What are my spiritual leaders telling me that I'm supposed to do? And instead of meditating upon the word of God and the truth that God has given us and relying upon the Holy Spirit that resides in each of your hearts, you have the author of scripture dwelling in your heart. You have the teacher dwelling in your heart. And instead of relying upon the instruction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, now you're fixated upon what your religious leaders are telling you to do. And what's gonna happen 
is that that legalism is going to lead you away from life. Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way, the better legalist a man is, the more sure he is of being damned. If he trusts to his works, the more he may rest assured of his final rejection and eternal portion with the Pharisees. And you'll see it over and over again today. There are religious groups that will say you've got to be a part of our group if you're going to be saved. The Bible tells us if you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son of God, you do not have life. It doesn't say if you have the Son and you're a part of a certain religious group, then you have salvation. No. Salvation, the sum total of it, is faith in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, it doesn't matter what religious group you are a part of, you have eternal life. Listen to what the Catholic Church says. They say there is no salvation apart from Christ. Now, had they put a period right there, we're good to go. They don't. They say, apart from Christ and this is what you have to be aware of. The Jesus and crowd. The Christ and crowd. Well, you got Jesus. Now we're going to have to really finish the deal up and you got to become a part of our group. Christ and his one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Again, this is an infallible teaching, not of the word of God and not up to debate among Catholics. If you have the Son of God, if you have placed your faith in Christ this morning, you have, you presently are in possession of salvation. Now, do you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you understand that the Lord desires to forgive you and that it's not rocket science? There is this exchange that takes place. I believe that Christ, that upon his cross, I took off my garment of corruption. I took off my garment of putrid behavior. And it was laid upon him and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And then he took his righteous robe and he placed it upon you and I. And so therefore, we are as righteous as Christ, not because we follow church rules, but because we have placed our trust in him. Now let's look at what has the panties of all these legalists all up in a bunch. Notice in verse one, he says this, then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, they came to Jesus Saying, now these are the big dogs from Jerusalem. These, these are representatives of the powers that be, the religious powers that be in Jerusalem. And they got a real problem. And this is such a big problem that they have walked, what, 75, 80 miles? That's a long, that's a long ways to walk. Something's got to really be bugging you if you're gonna walk 75, 80 miles to confront some situation that you think needs to get fixed right now. Well, let's notice what the big earth-shattering event was that these guys thought needed to be confronted in verse two. 
Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they, oh my, do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Right? This is the big up. Now, washing hands was very important to them. Now, let's notice, what is it that legalism does? What is the effect of legalism upon the human heart? The first thing that we see here in the context of this is that it misses what God was doing. What was God doing? What did we see at the end of chapter 14? Jesus comes into this region of Gennesaret and word spreads quickly to the surrounding communities. The miracle worker is here. Come, bring out your sack. And, and they were saying, what? If we can touch his prayer shawl, if we can touch the hem of his garment, we're going to be healed. And Jesus is walking through this sea of human need. He's walking through this large crowd, and people's lives are being changed. They're having an experience with the power of God. The love of God is being manifested here. Their lives are being totally turned around for the better. And so here is this wonderful thing that God is doing in this community. And now these bozos from Jerusalem show up, and what are they worried about? They're worried about washing hands. And they have totally missed this wonderful move of God, how he's working in this community. And that's what legalism will do to you. It'll turn you into a bitter, miserable person where you are so unhappy that you cannot recognize what God is doing in the world around you and what God is desiring to do in your life now. Now, washing hands, like I say, real important. Maybe some of you moms, it's real important to you. Maybe you're hand-washing Nazis here. I don't know. Uh, my mom was one such person. I remember as a young child, as, as just a little kid, and I came out of the breakfast table, and she said, oh, no, no, you go wash your hands. And I said to her, well, I just had a bath last night. I went from the bath to the bed. I haven't been anywhere. And she said to me, you don't know where those hands have been in the night. I remember thinking, where would they, where would they go? Now, they, they thought that uh, it was so important because they said this, he sins as much who eats with unwashed hands as he that lies with a harlot. So to eat your peanut butter and jelly sandwich with dirty hands uh, rises to the level of, of uh, fornicating. Now, they believe that there was a demon by the name of Shabbata that sat on people's hands. And the only way that you can get the demon off of your hands was by washing them in the prescribed ceremonial way. And if you didn't wash the demon off, well, then as you're eating your food, not only is the food going to be getting into you, but that old demon is going to get into you. You want to be demon-possessed? Is that what you want? Then get in there and wash your hands. Now, notice they are honest here, and they say, you have transgressed not the word of God, 
but you have transgressed the tradition of the elders. Um, now, it's interesting that what else legalism does is that it goes beyond the word of God. And you're gonna have church leaders telling you, you must do certain things or you must not do certain things, not because it's in the word of God, but because your church elders have mandated. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, don't rob a bank. You gotta listen to that. That's good counsel. That's Bible. Because the Bible says, thou shall not steal. And when they tell you that kind of stuff, they're giving you biblical counsel. But if they say to you, hey, uh, those sideburns of yours, they're kind of getting a little bit below the earlobe there, I, I think you better, uh, you better deal with that, right? Well, that's legalism. Nowhere in the scripture does it say your hair has to be this way or your hair has to be that way. And what they're suggesting, because they're going beyond the word of God, the third thing that legalism does is that it offers a counterfeit salvation. That if you do what we are asking you to do and you toe the line and you're obedient to your religious leaders, then God is gonna give you eternal life. John MacArthur, quoting an ancient rabbi, says this, whosoever has his abode in the land of Israel and eats his common food with rinsed or washed hands, may rest assured that he shall obtain eternal life. You do what the elders tell you to do, and you will have eternal life. Now this stuff can creep into any religious organization. It can creep into any church. Paul Apple warns us, he says, every church must ask itself, does scripture control our traditions or do our traditions control scripture? Do we wanna be individual followers of Christ or do we wanna be a corporate uh, church that is based upon what does the word of God say? That's all I want to know. What have the apostles passed on to us or do we wanna be a group of people uh, that decides that we're gonna start adding to uh, the word of God? We want to be a biblically-based Christian and a biblically-based church. Now let's notice how Christ comes back at them. It's gonna be very clear. He's done messing around. He's done chatting with these guys. These guys have said to him, why do you violate the traditions of the elders? Notice how Jesus responds in verse three. He answered and he said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother. And he that curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever prophet, you may have received, might have received from me, is a gift of God. Then you need not honor your father and your mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect. Now let's notice the fourth thing, that what legalism does is that it removes the authority of the word of God. Jesus says to them, the word of God says, you honor your mom and your dad. Now again, it doesn't say honor good moms and good dads. You got a mom, you got a dad, doesn't matter, 
how terrible of human beings they might be, the Word of God commands you to honor them. Now, Jesus, in his interpretation of that command, is telling us that part of honoring your parents is being responsible, if possible, to take care of them financially. Now, these guys had come up with what was known as Corbin. What Corbin was, was an act where you said all that you owned was given to God. All that you owned was a gift that you have sacrificed to God. So whatever was in your bank account, you gave to God. Now, interestingly enough, you had access to your own bank account and you could spend your money on you, but when your mom and dad came to you and said, honey, I don't have money for my blood pressure medicine, could you help me out? They would respond by saying, oh, gee, mom, dad, love to help, but it's Corbin. I've given it all to God. I can't, I can't give it to you because I've already given it to God. And what he's telling us is that they have now taken the clear command of God and they've disannulled it because of their traditions. And that's what can happen to us. We can get so focused on what our religious organization is telling us that we're not obedient to the word of God. Well, then notice what he calls them here in, in verse seven, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of, of men. Teaching like what men say rises to the same level uh, of the word of God. And so what is the fifth thing that happens is that it turns people into actors. And what it simply is telling, look, just look the part, all right? Will you just wear the clothes that your church elders are telling you to wear? Will you just have the hairstyle that your church elders are, are telling you to have? And you just look the part. But what we have to understand is that the farther apart who we are in private and, and what we are in public, the farther those two realities are, the greater spiritual danger that we find ourselves in. As we grow in Christ, there should be a growing together of what we are behind closed doors and what we are when we're sitting in uh, the sanctuary of the church. Now, one of the things that stinks about my job, one of the things that I just hate about my job is that I have to constantly apologize to my wife when I'm wrong. I hate that. We'll have this big blow up, right? And, uh, and I, I've messed up, right? And I'm, I'm giving her the silent treatment and she knows I'm just really upset, right? And there she is sitting on the couch reading her little book with that little smirk on her face. And, and uh, you know, and, and she says, well, you know, in two days, you've got to stand before the people of God and teach the Bible. So are you going to be a phony are you going to be a pretender or are you going to get things right? Oh, right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I, and, and look, we have, you, you hate it when people uh, are fakey around you, 
right? You hate fakey people, and the Lord hates that uh, as well. And, and so what happens is when we become religious hypocrites, we're just looking the part, you know, we've had this horrible day, we've been horrible people, but we pull into the church parking lot and we put the cheesy church smile on our face and we walk in as if we have read the Bible like 10 times this week and we've spent like 40 hours in prayer and all of that. And, and we have to be careful because we can become pretenders and this is what legalism does. It attempts to change you from the outside in. Just comply, just comply to the rules that the elders of the church are coming up with, look the part and you're okay. But the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us as we're gonna see here in a moment from the inside out. And we just have to pray to God that he would help us to be real people. If you've got marriage problems going on, talk about it to a brother or sister. You got financial problems going on, talk about it. Don't be pretending about being right with the Lord when you're not. And it can become so subtle. I remember a few years ago, Sherry and I, we went to a, a family here in the church's house uh, for, for dinner. And of course, you know, when you're having the pastor over your house, you know, you, you want to be careful that you don't cuss in front of me. And, you know, look, I'm telling you, I got very low standards, all right? It doesn't take much to impress me. And so uh, we were in this family's house. They've moved away so I can tell the story. And uh, we were sitting in their house and in the living room and off to the side, they had like a, a room that they had turned into a music room. And there was an electric guitar in there. And I said, hey, who, who pays, plays the electric guitar? And they had this 10 or 11-year-old son. He said, oh, I do. I said, hey, kid, show me what you got. I, I want to I hear a, a song. And so, you know, he gets up there and he plugs in his amp and turns it up to 11. And, uh, and then he, he starts out with the riff from Deep Purple's uh, Smoke on the Water, right? And mom launches off of the couch. Oh, no. Play Pastor Maori one of the church songs that, you know, you've been practicing all week long. No, no, no. Hey, smoke on the water is great. All right, it's fine, right? Let's just be real. Let's just be who we are. But legalism will turn us into religious phonies. So Christ says now, he draws the crowd to him and he says, he called the multitude to himself and he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Now, he's going to use the word defile five times in this section. It means pollution. It means corruption. We hear a lot about pollution. We hear a lot about saving the planet. But we have to understand that heaven is an incorruptible place. And that's what God wants to bring you to. He wants to bring you as an individual follower of Christ to that place of incorruption. He wants to deliver you. And what he is telling us here is that whatever corruption you got going on in your life, it's not because of your environment. We always want to blame our environment. Well, I'm a bad person because I'm in a bad environment. No, Christ said it's not what is in your environment that's coming into you that's the problem. The problem is what is already inside of you. And what is already inside of us is a corrupt heart. I have a heart that will lead me into corruption. And what the gospel offers us is an opportunity to pray to God, God, you've got to change me. God, you have to deliver me. If you're a jerk, 
It's not because you eat beef jerky. It's because you've got a jerky heart. That's the problem. And you need to pray, oh God, I'm sick of being the way that I am. Help me, deliver me. And God in the new covenant tells us through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm gonna reach into the chest of my people and I'm gonna pull out a heart of stone and I'm gonna replace it with a heart of flesh. And on the fleshly tablets of their heart, I'm gonna write my will and my ways. And you and I are led to victory, not because we're good little church people, but we are led to victory over dominating sins in our life because we are surrendering ourselves to the power of God. We so oftentimes think, well, grandfather was a pervert and my dad was a pervert and I'm destined to be a pervert. No, Jesus Christ breaks these life-dominating sins and he can radically alter your life if you cry out to him, God, change me. The problem is not our environment. The problem is our heart. Then notice that he says in verse 12 as we close with this. Then his disciples, they came unto him and they said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Do you know that all of the cool kids are really upset right now. You know, the people we're trying to get real chummy with, the people we're trying to get to like us. Do you understand these guys are really offended? But he answered and he said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind both, will fall into the ditch. And so Jesus is saying, the cool kids don't know God. And the cool kids don't want to know God. And so Jesus says to them a very harsh thing. You let them alone. These are people who are going to judgment. These are people who are lost. And Christ is saying, leave them alone they have crossed over that line where they have rejected over and over again God's free offer of life. And they have become so hardened that whatever you might say to them is a BB off of a battleship, it is water off of the back of a duck, and there is no penetration, and God then gives them over. I think as we are witnessing within our culture how God is now giving America over to what it wants. And we need to pray that God would have mercy upon our nation and deliver us from our foolishness. And what God is interested in is reality. He doesn't want fakiness. He doesn't want a religious experience. William Barclay, he said it this way, to the scribes and the Pharisees, worship was ritual, ceremony, law. To Jesus, worship was the clean heart and the loving life. Here is the clash, and that clash still exists. What is worship? Even today, 
There are many who would say that worship is not worship unless it is carried out by a priest ordained in a certain succession, in a building consecrated in a certain way, and from a liturgy laid down by a certain church. And all of these things are externals. Externals will not make you right before God. That is why Jesus said earlier in Matthew, we had it back in chapter five, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into Christ's kingdom. The scribes and the Pharisees, they spent every waking hour trying to walk according to these traditions. They spent their entire life trying to be holy before God. And Christ looks at them and says, you gotta do better than that. Well, how much better do you have to do? Jesus said, be ye holy as your Father in heaven is holy. You wanna go to heaven? All right, yeah, it's, it's not too hard. Just be as holy as God. Now, your church regulations and your church rules, they are not going to make you as holy as God. There's no amount of money that you can give in a, as a contribution that will make you as holy as God. There's no amount of, of missionary uh, trips that you can go on. There's no amount of activity that you can produce in a religious way that's going to make you right before God. The only thing that will make you holy before God is that exchange that I was talking about earlier. That Christ, he takes our, our sin and then he takes his robe of righteousness and he places it upon us. And many of you, you have done that over the course of time. Many of you are the followers of Christ and you're trusting in Christ positionally, you are as righteous before God as Jesus Christ himself, not by works of righteousness, but by simple childlike faith, trusting in Christ. Now, as you sit here this morning, again, in the quietness of your heart, you judge yourself. Are you right with God? If you die today, do you have the witness in your heart that you will awake in the very presence of God where there is joy forevermore? Or do you think to yourself, if you die today, your eternity is very uncertain? I've got wonderful news. If that's what you're coming up with, all of that can be radically altered here in just a very short period of time. The Lord simply asks each of us that we would turn to him and believe. All the Bible is asking you to do is to change your mind. That's what repentance means. It means that you are changing your mind about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not your enemy. Jesus Christ is not against you. Jesus Christ is not out to ruin or destroy your life. He is the lover of your soul, and he has a wonderful, eternal plan for your life if you will but turn and say yes to him. And if you do not have the witness in your heart that you're right with God, let's just take care of it right now. It's not rocket science. It is the simplicity of the gospel. You turn and you live. And if you would like to turn this morning, let's do that right now. And all I simply ask is that you would raise your hand and you say, yeah, I want the Lord. 
you raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. You, you, want to, you want to leave this place with an awareness that all of your sin and all of your iniquity has been forgiven. Oh, how the Lord loves you. And he's giving you an opportunity to have an experience with him this morning. And if you want to experience eternal life through forgiveness in Christ, raise your hand. Today's a day of salvation, and I'm going to pray for you. Is there anybody here you want to say, yeah, what's your name? Ian, welcome home. Ian, we're going to pray for you. Is there anybody else you want to say yes to the Lord this morning? Today's a day of salvation. Don't let it go by. Let's pray for our new brother, Ian. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you, Father, that you brought Ian here today to hear that you love him. And you're going to do a wonderful thing in his life. And I ask now, Father, that there would come a witness to him that all of the garbage from the past and the present and even in the future has been forgiven because he's placing his trust in Christ. I ask now that his body would become the temple of the Holy Spirit and that your spirit would begin to bring assurance to his heart that he's right with you, that he is forgiven. I ask, Lord, that you will bring great friends, great companions around him that will encourage him to walk in this walk of faith. I ask, Father, that you would relieve him of all guilt, of all condemnation, and that he would have an understanding that there is a new life now. All things have become new all of the former things have passed away. And oh, his future is as bright as the promises of God. Bless our new brother now and cause him to grow in the faith. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.